Good morning, Hopevale. Good to see everybody. I'm Billy. I'm the worship pastor. Glad you're here today. If it's the first time with us, glad you've joined us for worship. Hey, let's stand. I want to read a scripture before we start our singing worship time today. I'm going to read out of uh, the book of Psalms in the Old Testament. And it's chapter 13. And King David wrote this. He said this. He said, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. And he goes on to say a few things. It's just a few short verses. It's six verses, but he closes with verse five and six. So in the midst of all of this, like, God, how long are you going to be till I hear from you? And this like, ah, thing. He says this in the same breath. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Matthew, take us in, man. We're going to sing a new song for you this morning called Yes, I Will. It says, even in the lowest valley, I will worship you and I'll, I'll give you my praise even though I'm going through something tough. So wherever you're at in life, I know all of us can stand to just worship the Lord through it all. So let's sing together. I count on one thing. The same God that never fails will not fail me will not fail me now in the waiting the same god who's never late is working all things out you're working all things out oh yes i will lift you high in the lowest valley yes i will bless your
Let's worship together continually. Asking God that you would help us build our life on him. Worthy of every song you could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. All we live for you. In Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. You're worthy of only breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. you, Jesus, as Savior, the one who has died for us, lived for us, the one who's a bridge to eternity, and acknowledge you, Holy Spirit, um, this third part of the Trinity, this mysterious three-in-one, the one who's with us now and blessing us as we uh, give you our hearts. So thank you so much for that, Lord. We're eternally grateful for um, the knowledge that we are able to have forever with you. And so, Lord, while we're here, Help us to be a people that uh, try to do our best and try to live right and try to just talk to you more. Sometimes uh, don't know what to say or how to say it. And even Jesus told the disciples at one point, um, well, this is how you should talk to God. So we'll do so in like fashion by saying this morning, 
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So we just got done singing. Um, Lord, uh, with to, to love people, those around me, and you got some people around you now. It's funny, uh, the guy on percussion back there, one of my good buddies, Aaron, we were just talking about this um, backstage before we came to lead worship about this meet and greet thing that we do. And um, uh, Jesus would greet his disciples with a holy kiss. No, we're not going to go around kissing each other, please. <laughs> but uh, a modern day version is a, hey, how you doing? My name is, and good to see you today. Good morning. So it's an act of worship when we do this. So be nice to introverts as always. Say hi to somebody around you. We'll see you back in a second. Thanks, everybody. Good morning again, Hopevale. You guys can have a seat. My name is Adam Harbaugh. I'm the outreach pastor here at Hopevale. And just want to extend a special welcome to you if this is your first time at Hopevale this morning. Just really glad that you uh, chose to take the effort to come and join us and just what we're doing here at Hopevale, and especially this large gathering to just lift the name of Jesus on high. You know, and I know uh, everybody in this room came for different reasons this morning, uh, but our hope and prayer is just that you would find uh, a refuge in Jesus this morning and that uh, his grace and his truth would be able to speak to you right where you're at in your circumstances. I think that really is the beauty of the body of Christ gathering together and just uh, what the Spirit can accomplish when we're all gathered and we have open hearts and minds to hear what He wants to communicate to us, how He wants to speak to us individually, even when we're in a room with a thousand other people, right? So we're looking forward to what God has for us this morning. And uh, as we prepare to give this morning, I, I want to invite the ushers to come forward and you know, I was just encouraged uh, by that, those very truths a little bit this morning. I was talking to a friend uh, who's here today and just going through a really hard time, and it just kind of helps put into perspective uh, the value of the church and the value of, of why collectively we give towards this community so that we can come and receive uh, the encouragement from Christ when we gather together. But it also doesn't just stop in this room. Then we give so that this message can go out and people who have no hope in this world can experience the hope that we have in Christ. And so that's our heart. That's the reason that we give this morning. It's not for any personal benefit. It's so that others can uh, understand how much Christ loves them and what he has for them. And so as we prepare to give this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer to that end. God, thank you so much for uh, being just an incredible heavenly father to each and every one of us. And Lord, whatever the reasons are that people walk through the door this morning, whatever uh, valleys or heaviness we have on our hearts, we just want to bring all of that to you and lay it at your feet. God, we, we are so grateful that you are a heavenly father who cares so deeply and so intimately for each and every one of us. And so God, we just want to bring our lives before you and tell you how much we love you and how we, it's our desire to submit our lives and our will so that you can do in us what you want to do. And so Lord, as we give, I just pray that this would be an extension of uh, our laying down of ourselves, our own desires, our own passions, and God, that we would uh, give things back to you so that you can take and use it for the beauty of your name and the benefit of the world to know what you have accomplished for them on their behalf. God, thank you so much for first loving us and may you just take these gifts and use them as a way for us to express our love back to you. God, we look forward to what you're going to speak to us this morning. We are listening and we just wanna tell you how much we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
no point of reference You spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of light And as you So I could find it 
month of May, we are also beginning a new chapter in the life of ministry here at Hopel. That starting this month, Kathy and I will be taking a three-month ministry sabbatical, which means we're getting away. We're stepping aside for a season so that we can rest and retreat from the ongoing demands of ministry. This is something that we've talked about as an elder board for a while, as an investment into all the pastors who've served here for a while. And I guess we're the guinea pigs. This is the first time we've ever done this. And so we'd really appreciate your prayers. You know, for this first month, it's simply a matter of us turning off the phones, not looking at the emails and getting out of Saginaw for a little bit, spending time with extended family. So we would really appreciate your prayers. We want to hear from God in new and fresh ways. And we're excited about what that means for us. Now, in my absence during the month of May, you'll have the privilege of hearing from Mike Whitmer. Mike is a professor of theology at Grand Rapids Theological Seminary. Mike is married to Julie and they have three kids. They live in the Grand Rapids area and Mike has a long history of teaching and the Bible and pouring into lives of other believers. And what I love about Mike is that he has a professor's mind with a pastor's heart. He cares for the people of God and has a great ability to talk about an issue that's very important to us here at Hopewell, about what it means to follow Jesus in our everyday lives, not just what we do on Sundays, but every hour of our week and every area of our lives. So I'm excited that you'll get to hear from Mike over these next four weeks as he leads us through a series called The Story of my life. So would you give Mike a warm Hopel welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Um, this, you have a pastor who loves you, and it's great that he can get a, away and refresh and come back in the fall and go at it again. So I'm honored to be in his place for these four weeks, and if this goes well enough, he can have another sabbatical in a few years. But if not, then he will never take this chance again. I um, also want to welcome Bay City. Uh, welcome with us as we do four weeks on the story of the Bible, which is also the story of our lives. And we're really about, this is about putting your life together and even putting your Bible together. Have you ever felt that tug of war between who you are as a human and what you enjoy as a person and following Jesus, your human life and your Christian life. Have you ever asked the question, can I really serve Jesus and still enjoy my life? I think we ask that question at least subconsciously every time we sin. We know that Jesus doesn't want us to click on that website, but we, 
we really want to. If we go ahead and click, it's because we ask the question, can I serve Jesus and still enjoy my life? And we said no. Or we know that Jesus doesn't want us to share that juicy bit of news. But it's so good. And it's going to make me look really good. If we go ahead and share it, it's because we asked, at least subconsciously, can I really serve Jesus and still enjoy my life? And we said no. Or we know that Jesus doesn't want us to cheat on our taxes, but now it's going to cost us money. If we go ahead and do it, it's because we ask, can we really serve Jesus and still enjoy our lives? And, and we said no. But I think we also ask this question in more innocent moments. We, we all want to be radical Christians, right? We, want to, we sing, I want to live with abandon. I was made for more than just ordinary life. And so we, we hear stories about one church that in order to free up money for missions, they took name brand crackers out of their nursery program. Well, that's great. But then you feel a little bit, bit guilty. Can I have goldfish crackers? Or do I have to go generic? Uh, there's another man um, who went to a thrift store and paid $50 for a suit. As he's leaving, he thought, oh, $50. I could feed a whole family in India for a month. Well, something's wrong, isn't there? When you can't even enjoy a cheap suit. <laughs> Not because it's cheap, but because you think you overpaid. Uh, godly Christians ask, how big of a house can I have? How new can my car be? When I take my family on vacation, am I allowed to go to Mackinac Island? Or do I have to go to Battle Creek? <laughs> you feel the tension? If you love Jesus, you're asking the question. Sometimes we get overboard, though. I've, one author said that his mother, and he said this approvingly, she says, I don't ever want to go to the movies because I don't want to be caught having fun when Jesus returns. I have a good friend who's a really good studio artist, and she's good at it, and she enjoys it. But she says, I know I'm supposed to take up my cross and follow Jesus and deny myself, but I like my art. So the best she could figure was she had to follow Jesus in some other way, not in her painting. I think a lot of godly Christians have this low-grade residual guilt. We go around feeling like maybe we should try to enjoy our human lives a little bit less so we can serve Jesus a little bit more. And there is a tension here. There's an unavoidable tension of life that we need to talk about. And then we're going, we're going to do that this morning and then also talk about some helps to navigate that tension. So here's the tension. We start with the Bible is a story. Like any good book, the Bible has a plot. And here it is, creation, fall, and redemption. It opens in the first two chapters of Genesis, creation. Everything God made is good. And then in chapter 3, there's a fall. And then the fallout of the fall. The world turns ugly in unimaginable ways. The ground is cursed. Cain is cursed. The whole world is cursed by a flood. And then in chapter 12, the language changes. And instead of cursing, now there's blessing. And God says to Abram, I will bless you. And through you, I will bless the world. The empire strikes back. And the rest of scripture from Genesis 12 to Revelation 22 is the story of salvation. So creation, fall, redemption, that's the plot of the Bible that we'll talk about in these next four weeks. This single story of the Bible tells us that everything matters. Everything God made is good. Everything's been ravaged by sin. And God wants it all back. Every part of your life matters to God. That's why we have marriage seminars and parenting seminars and financial peace seminars, right? Because it all counts for Jesus. But there's two distinctions in this story which tell us some things matter more. Psalm 71, sorry, Psalm 73, verse 25 says, Whom have I in heaven but you, O God? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. God the Creator matters more than everything else. He just does. As Billy sang this morning, it, God, the creator, has to matter more than his creation. Second tension, salvation, redemption, the final part of the story does matter more than creation. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, what's it profit a person? 
If he gains the entire world, yet loses his soul. You can't put a price tag on not going to hell. God matters more than what he made. Redemption, salvation matters more than creation. So when we send missionaries around the world, we we want to bring clean water to villages. That's part of creation. Praise God. But we're Christians and we won't be content until they learn to drink from the living water. Right? We go around the world and we teach English to many other people. And I did that for a couple years. And I loved it when my Chinese students learned to master conversational English. But I, I wasn't content with just that. I wanted them to know Jesus. Uh, this tension comes up a lot. Um, a couple years ago, my, my daughter was in gymnastics. And I don't want to make, be legalistic about this and make you feel needless guilt. But in our family, we said... I love that you're doing gymnastics. It's, it's part of being a well-rounded person. But some of these meets, well, the meets are always on weekends. And you just need to know, we're not missing church for gymnastics. I want you to do gymnastics, but I need you to love Jesus. And I need you to love the church. And I want, I want you to know that that's what our family values. So you feel the tension? The one story of the Bible tells us everything counts. But there's two things in this story that count more. God, the creator, matters more than his creation. And salvation, redemption, matters more than having a well-rounded human life. Everything matters. Some things matter more. But one more twist. Everything still matters. Some Christian leaders hit that note. Some things matter more. And they forget that everything still matters. So, sure, God matters more than the creation. But you can't even love God without a good and separate creation. Sometimes I read, again, really, these are godly Christian leaders. But I read their books and I hear their sermons and I get the impression that they can't ever just enjoy a sandwich as a sandwich. They have to always enjoy God through the sandwich. Right? Praise God. Enjoy God, but also knock yourself out. Enjoy the sandwich. One of my friends said, why did God make honey sweet? So we could understand the sweetness of God. Sure, but he also made honey sweet because he wants you to enjoy it. Right? If, if we're always minimizing creation, and we think somehow that maximizes God, in fact, one author says, so creation itself is just a shout, it's just thoughts, it's just God's thoughts. Well, think about it. If that's all we are, if you and I are just God's thoughts, then we're actually just a part of God. And if we're just a part of God, we can't even know God and love God, and for very pious reasons. You know, people, when they're in love, they'll say, I will climb any mountain, I will cross any ocean to get to where you are. Whatever the distance, I'll overcome it. That's True, you overcome the distance, but it also implies to have a relationship, you have to have distance. There has to be some separation. As that country western song said, how can I miss you if you never go away? <laughs> so, so God matters more than the world. Of course he does. But if we're not separate from God, if we're not an entirely good creation, there's no place to stand and turn and love God from. So God matters more, but the world still matters. This tension comes up in 1 Timothy 6, right in the middle of this passage where Paul was encouraging, be generous, sacrifice, share. He says, God has given us every good gift for our enjoyment. (laughs) Feels the tension? God has given you gifts for you to enjoy and also share some of those gifts with other people. The tension is between the giver and the gift, right? The giver wants us to enjoy him more than the gifts, but he also wants us to enjoy the gifts. What if you had this insufferably pious child where every time you gave him a present, he'd open it and toss it aside and say, but all I really want is you, mommy. All I really want is you, daddy. Wouldn't you say, great, but you are so hard to shop for. (laughs) I want you to love me most, but I also want you to enjoy the Rubik's Cube. Have fun with it. 
So, keyword wholesome, not sinful, but every wholesome pleasure you enjoy, it was God's idea first. God came up with colors and flavors and chocolate and strawberries and strawberries dipped in chocolate. That was him. Why would we think he's somehow against pleasure? I was talking to another faculty in another state a couple years ago, and one of the profs said he was walking to school that morning, and the sun was rising, not like it was this morning. The birds were chirping, and he just felt joy. And said, thank you, God. Thank you for this world, as Billy sang about. Then he said, oh, no. Have I just crossed the line? Have I just enjoyed this world a little bit too much? Have I now started to sin? Well, I don't think God's worried that you are enjoying his world a little bit too much. You can't enjoy that milkshake too much. You can enjoy pleasures in the wrong way. And here's a, a word that helps me. It's, it's, the word is adiaphora, a Greek word, A-D-I-A-P-H-O-R-A, adiaphora. It comes up in Romans 14 about Christian freedom. And the word means neither here nor there, things that are indifferent. And what that tells me is I can enjoy any wholesome, again, keyword wholesome, any good pleasure as long as it's neither here nor there, as long as it's indifferent, as long as I enjoy it with an open hand. I don't selfishly cling to it. I'll share it with you. But I, so I don't make an idol out of the thing. But I'm allowed to enjoy God's gifts. In fact, the giver of all good gifts wants us. 1 Timothy 6.17, he tells us, enjoy his gifts. So God matters more than the world, but loving God requires a separate and good world. Likewise with redemption. Redemption matters more than creation, but redemption requires a good creation. Without a good creation, you can't have salvation. The gospel doesn't even get off the ground. right? The center of our Christian belief is the incarnation. The Son of God became human. So in John 1.14, John writes, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And it also hinges on the physical resurrection of Christ. The most heavenly-minded spiritual church in the whole Bible is the church in Corinth. They said, we speak with the tongues of angels, and Paul, your preaching is pretty plain. They were so spiritual, they didn't believe in marriage or sex. They said, if you're single, don't get married. If you are married, get divorced. If you can't get divorced, at least don't sleep with your spouse. And they were so spiritual they couldn't believe in a physical resurrection because it's physical, it's probably dirty. And you can tell Paul's angry because in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 13 through 17, he says it twice. He says it once, goes around a second time. He says, Corinthians, think about it. If there is no physical resurrection because that's bad, then even Jesus has not been raised. And if Jesus has not been raised, you're still in your sins. Congratulations, Corinthians. You're now more spiritual than God. You're so heavenly minded, you're not even saved. The entire story of the Bible, it's more than physical, but it's not less than. It starts in this physical garden of delight. The redemptive event of the Old Testament, it's physical. A group of Jews crossing a physical boundary into a land flowing with physical milk and honey. Our story hinges on the incarnation, Son of God becoming physical, physically living, physically dying, physically rising, physically going back to heaven, and physically coming back. That's the Christian story. The whole thing's physical. In fact, there's this story in John 21, which I think really illustrates the point. And here's a picture in the Sea of Galilee where this all went down. But in John 21... Peter and his disciples are waiting for Jesus to appear and tell them what's next. And Peter says, you know what? We can wait in this windowless room out of fear for the Jews, but I'm a fisherman. I'm hungry. I'm going to go out fishing. And six of his friends say, we'll go with you. So they fish all night and they get skunked. Because in the Bible, if you fish all night, you always get skunked. This would have bothered Peter not that long ago. He's a fisherman. He's hungry. He got nothing. And now he's tired. He's hangry. And then this shadowy, but, but he's okay with it because Jesus is alive. Jesus matters more. Then this shadowy figure on the shore says, hey, try the other side. 
So they throw their nets over and now they're breaking with so much fish. And Peter says, hey, that must be Jesus. So he throws his clothes on and goes towards Jesus. Why? Because it's Jesus. Jesus matters most. How many fish did they catch? The text tells us in John 21. 153. Do you know what that means? In the presence of the resurrected Christ, someone's counting fish. (laughs) Who does that? Probably Thomas. 21, 22, I can't believe it. Now fishermen do that. Jesus counts more, it's Jesus. But the fish still count and we will count them. And then Jesus says, give me some of those fish. And think about this. Just days before, Jesus went back to heaven from which we still await his return. The scarred hands of Christ made breakfast on the beach. He built a roaring fire. Let it settle, bake bread and some fish over that fire to prep Peter for that really hard conversation. Peter, do you love me more than all these? Feel the tension again? God matters more than creation. But without a good creation, you can't even love God or know him. Salvation matters more than creation. But without a good creation, you can't have salvation. Everything counts. Some things count more. Some things count more. Everything still counts. Feel the tension? Here's some help with it. Um, And this is the most exciting thing I discovered in my Bible study. And if you see what I'm about to tell you, your Bible will make sense and your life will make sense. If you don't see this, we'll just agree to disagree. But you'll live with a little more tension than you need. Here's, Here's what's, we have to distinguish in the Bible God's good creation from the fall. And the way to do that is to realize that there's a difference between nouns and verbs, things and actions. Have you noticed that in English, the same word can be a noun or it can be a verb? Like rock. Rock can be a noun or rock can be we will, we will rock you. Or a hammer. Hammer can be something you hit a nail with. Or hammer can be don't tweet when you're hammered. (laughs) It will not sound so impressive when you sober up. So understand the, the tension? There's a difference between nouns and verbs. The same word can be a thing or an action. That explains John. In John 3.16, John says, God so loved the world. 1 John 2.15, same author, God and John, they say, don't you love the world? Wait, what? God loves the world and tells me not to? That's not fair. Or is God and John using the word world there in two different ways? In John 3.16, it means it's a noun. It's you and you and you. Put your name in the blank. Everything that God made, God loves. 1 John 2.15, don't love the world. It's lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. It's sin. John is not telling us, watch out for ice cream. When he says don't love the world, he's saying don't love sin. I once heard a preacher say, Lord, protect us from the things of this world. And I think I knew what he meant, but that's a really odd thing to say, isn't it? The things of this world are not our problem. Sin is our problem. We must distinguish God's good gifts from our sinful perversion of them. In fact, the higher the good, the greater the good that God gave, the more potential for perversion and abuse. Why is murder so awful? It's the corruption of of life. Uh, Incest, the perversion of a love between a father and a daughter, what's more pure than that? And when that gets twisted, you can't even imagine it. Uh, Think about uh, why is pornography so awful and so addictive? It's the perversion of God's gift of sex. So just a tip here, because we have a pornography problem in the church, in America, and I don't think it helps to tell yourself, don't look at porn, don't look at porn. You remind yourself to look at porn. Instead, pornography, what is that the perversion of? God's gift of sex. Ask yourself, how can I, in my present condition, celebrate and honor that? Focus on the gift, the goodness, and the parody will seem much less attractive. Luther said, there are people who worship the sun and the stars, but we don't drag them out of the sky. There are people who visit 
prostitutes, but we don't kill all of our women. And there are people who get drunk, but we don't pour out all of our wine. Okay, I'm Baptist, we do that one. Um, <laughs> but we don't have to. Right? We can celebrate God's good gifts. And you already know this, right? Think about a Thanksgiving, right? I've never heard a Thanksgiving prayer that goes something like this. Lord, guard our hearts today from the sin of gluttony. <laughs> Temptation lies on every side. There's turkey and there's ham. There's potatoes both baked and sweet. And there's toss salad and cranberry salad and pumpkin pie and pumpkin chiffon pie. Lord, protect our hearts from sin and please forgive the ones who prepared our temptation. <laughs> Wouldn't that prayer end with a guy wearing the mashed potatoes? <laughs> so our problem is not stuff. We celebrate God's good gifts. We hate, we fight sin. Understand the difference? So when, when 1 John says don't love the world, he's not saying watch out for whatever it is that you enjoy, if, as long as it's wholesome. He's saying don't sin, don't love sin. Sin's your enemy. Another verse, uh, 1 Peter 2.11. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers. I find it. 1 Peter 2.11. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers, abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Again, a lot of Christians read that and say, aha, I don't belong here. I'm an alien. I'm a stranger. I come from outer space. I'm here for a while. And thank God, I get to go back to outer space, my true home. When I was a kid, we used to sing the song, somewhere in outer space, God has prepared a place for those. That's kind of bizarre, <laughs> right? I call it Martian theology. We're not Martians, but this is, Carrie Underwood has this song. This is my temporary home. It's not where I belong. By the way, watch out for Carrie. She's got this song, um, Jesus, take the wheel. Another song, Before He Cheats, right? Before He Cheats, I'm going to carve my name in his leather seat. Take a Louisville slugger to both headlights. Maybe next time he'll think before he cheats. How come when my life is spinning out of control, Jesus, take the wheel. But it's not Jesus, take the bat. Right? My boyfriend's cheating on me. I got this one. No, so Carrie's good. I'm just, I know more of her songs than I should. But my, my, my point is, this is a popular thing, right? Everyone thinks if you're a Christian, you don't belong here. If you're a Christian, you belong up there somewhere. Well, no. How'd you get here? God put you here. This must be where you belong. A realtors talk about location, location, location. Our problem is not location. You're in the right spot. The problem is sin. Right? Genesis 2.7 says, Adam comes from the Adamah. The name Adam means red dirt. So when you have a child, the most biblically accurate theologically correct name you could ever give your child is clay <laughs> or dusty if you have a girl sandy maybe Tara pebbles right we're earthlings for heaven's sake first Peter 2 alien what kind of aliens what kind of strangers are we abstain from sinful desires we're moral aliens we should be alien to the sin around us. We're not alien to roast beef. We're not alien to sports. We're not alien to the earth. The earth is where we're supposed to live. Another verse, we'll skip these pretty quickly for time's sake, but Colossians 3 says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. If you just read that verse by itself, it looks like, oh yeah, only be spiritual. Don't worry about things of earth. But in context, you got to read the context, Paul tells us what he means by things above and earthly things. Earthly things turn out to be a list of sins. Uh, verse 5, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, idolatry, anger, rage, malice, slander. And in verse 12, heavenly things are acts of righteousness. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, patience, bear with one another. You see the difference? Paul, there's no place in the Bible where God says, watch out for the world, watch out for creation. He always says, watch out for sin. Hate sin, fight sin, be an instrument of righteousness. God is pro-creation. If that sounds like sex, good, that was his idea too. Read correctly, 
Knowing that these words, world, alien, stranger, things above, earthly things, when you come across these words, ask yourself, are these words being used as nouns or are they being used as verbs? And you'll see that, again, read correctly, the Bible is for you and it's for this world. Uh, for time's sake, we'll skip 2 Corinthians 4.18 and go straight to uh, how to flourish with this tension. The more I think about this, that the Bible is for us and for a good life and enjoying creation, but also some things count more. Jesus and the gospel, they matter most. I've decided I don't want balance. I don't want to split the difference and have half of my life fun, half of my life counting for eternity. I want to grab both extremes with both hands. I want as much earthly pleasure, wholesome, not simple, but as much wholesome earthly pleasure as I can pack into my life, and I want as much heavenly purpose too. And I don't think I have to choose. Jesus didn't. Jesus is the Messiah. And when he was on earth, he told stories which, stories which indicated he knew a lot about life. He knew about travel and politics and business and farming and agriculture, which is farming. But, but he knew... He knew about life and he enjoyed life. He was always criticized. You're spending a lot of time at parties. So we actually don't have to choose. We can have pleasure and purpose. And next week we'll talk more about how that works out with our callings. That's a really key, key insight from scripture and from the Reformation. And the point is, you'll see next week, in Jesus, you get your life back in all of its fullness. One last point, though, that helps me put this tension together is today. Enjoying a, a Sabbath rest. And I want to be careful here because I don't want to be legalistic. This is not a law. The Sabbath is the one of the Ten Commandments not repeated in the New Testament because Jesus fills it up. Jesus is our rest. So you do not have to treat Sundays as any special day. But... I don't think it's wise to go the other extreme either and just say, woohoo, it's still up in Christ. I can do whatever I want. I think Sabbath rest actually is very helpful for putting this tension together. You see, in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments are given twice, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. And the, the, in, different, in Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5, God gives different reasons for the Sabbath. Exodus 20, because of creation. God made the world in six days, and then rested, and so should you. Deuteronomy 5, because of salvation. God delivered you out of bondage in Egypt, and so now you can rest in your salvation. So the Sabbath command actually unites creation and redemption. So that tension you and I feel, the, the money we put in the offering this morning, that's money we're not spending on the house. And the new carpet we bought, that's money we're not giving to the missionaries. Right? How do you do this? How do you put together being human and being a Christian? Maybe the answer is not so much in doing, but in not doing, of resting in Jesus. A, a Sunday, and we do it on Sunday now because it's the Lord's Day, the day that Christ rose from the dead, but this rhythm of working six days and knocking off on the seventh, it actually, that rhythm burls the gospel deep into our bones without even saying a word. If you take a break on this day, you are announcing to the world, I don't have to work 24-7. You know why? Because I'm in Christ. Christ has forgiven all my sins. I'm spoken for. I am somebody. I don't have to keep working. So if you're not in the habit of taking a Sabbath rest at all, you don't have to, but ask yourself why. If it truly is because I'm a Christian, Jesus fills up the Sabbath, I don't have to, no quarrel from me. But if it's really, well, the competition doesn't quit. I got work to do. I got to work. work. I, that's dangerous, right? Because what you're really saying is, Jesus isn't enough. I have to work hard to make myself somebody. That's why I think having a, a Sabbath day rest pointing to Jesus, it's a good reason to take a Sabbath rest. And what I've realized in my life, it's actually a gift. 
A Sabbath rest means every seventh day is a guaranteed holiday. Every seventh day, I come to church worship and I get to do whatever I want, whatever makes me happy. I try to be unproductive on purpose. I refuse to show up for work, to do nothing of economic or pragmatic value. I can take a nap, I can watch, I can go for a walk, I can do whatever I want. What a gift! But it does require faith. And that's why in the Old Testament, the Israelites would not observe a Sabbath, and why I still struggle every Saturday, right? Tomorrow's coming, I have so much I need to do. It's always a struggle, but I'm so glad when I take Sunday afternoon and just do what, what makes me happy. And that's a helpful way of integrating my human life and my Christian life. I'm refusing to do anything productive today because I don't have to. I'm in Christ and I can serve him and really enjoy my life. So our question, can you serve Jesus and still enjoy your life? Actually, it's the only way you can. Sometimes we think that enjoying our life requires being able to sin, to do whatever we want. But if you've lived long enough, you realize sin doesn't bring freedom. Sin enslaves, sin takes away, sin robs us of choices. The more we sin, the less choices, the less options we have. Jesus is the only person who can give us life because Jesus is life. Jesus is the one who created you and created me and put us here. This world has fallen, but it's still pretty great. I enjoy peaches and blueberries and strawberries. August is the best eating month of the year. I enjoy living in God's good world. That's a gift from our Lord. And Jesus, knowing that we had rejected him, he saves us. He saves us from our sin and from hell, and he saves us for everlasting life. And that life doesn't just start today. It is today. Not, if you're in Christ... You're free to knock off. You're free to enjoy this day and feel God's pleasure as you take pleasure in this, your Father's world. May this day refresh you in the Lord. Father, thank you for the big story of the Bible. And we've just begun, but we need to get creation right. Forgive us sometimes in our and our piety, where we've not allowed ourselves to really enjoy the delights of this world, the wholesome delights, as you've intended for us to. We realize that the more we enjoy your world, even the more attractive the gospel in Jesus becomes. We admit there's a tension and there will be a tension until your son comes back, but thank you for making us in your image, placing us here, giving us friends and family and a church like this to belong to. And we want to enjoy it today for your honor and your glory. In your son's name we pray, amen. Hey Hopevale, can we thank Mike for such a great word today? What a beautiful picture of God he painted for us today, right? Just to see how we can just be and maybe not have to do, do, do to um, gain so much of God's attention or his goodness or his grace. And there's things that he's given for just a beautiful gift for us to enjoy. And thank you for that amazing reminder. So good. And um, so uh, we'll worship together to thank the Lord uh, through it all and thank him for Jesus and thank him for his creation. So let's stand up and do that as Sydney leads us.
so much um, for just joining our voices and lifting them high to the Lord. Such a powerful thing we can do on the Sabbath this day. And so I hope you have a great day of rest. I hope it's a good day. Thanks for such a great encouragement again, Mike. And um, Mike's going to be down here in the front if you'd like to say hello or thank him for coming or ask him for prayer or anything you like. Feel free and I'll be down here too. And um, just hope you enjoy a, a great, great, beautiful day as you go from here. Uh, go and just be with God. God bless you. Have a good one.